Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Assalamu alaikum. It is uh, a great honor and a great privilege uh, to spend these blessed Tuesday evenings in conversation with uh, our community. Uh, we are still discussing purification of the heart, although we're arriving to the more comprehensive chapters. You know, we've uh, spent the previous, I don't know, five months? I think so. Something like that, going over each individual itemized kind of disease of the heart from derision to mockery to lack of reliance upon God to hatred. We've gone through them in this kind of itemized fashion. And now the Imam uh, who wrote this book, Imam Maulud, he's arriving to kind of, okay, if you missed all of that, this is what you need in a nutshell. So if you miss all of these individual chapters about this disease of the heart and that disease of the heart, in a nutshell, it's this, right? So those of you that have been coming weekly, I don't want you to feel as though, man, I could have just waited until these last two weeks and I didn't have to waste my time coming to Tetleaf every week. But those of you who weren't able to make it to class for the past five months, I want you to feel that, mashallah, your presence during these two weeks is very fortunate, very fortuitous, and we're very happy to have you. Uh, this evening, I have the pleasure of conversing with my good friend, my sister, Melissa Westbrook. Alhamdulillah. You know, mashallah. It's my How honor. are you? Um, alhamdulillah, I'm great. I'm super happy to be here. I think I, think I did the first class Yes. that we did. And I was really nervous. The second one I was, but I loved it. It was great. It's like having, having an amazing scholar and a teacher that I respect. One of my most favorite teachers all to myself, basically. So I, I love it. And I am um, so honored. And so I'm just going to state for the record, not worthy at all of being no, here. No, no, no. It, I'm, I'm I, happy to be here. It's I, you know, it's I that is uh, unworthy. But this chapter, Beneficial Actions for Purifying the Heart. The, as soon as I read that line, there was something that initially, right, like made a very strong impression and jumped to me, but maybe the same, th the same thing jumped to you and I won't let you take it. What did you, what did you, when you think about beneficial actions for purifying the heart, what did you, what was the first thing you thought about? I thought that it was going to be like a prescription for purifying the heart. I thought we would read it and it would be blah, 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 blah. Now, mind yeah. you, this isn't the first time I've read this chapter, but every time I read it uh, and I, anything in this book, it's just like my go-to book. Um, but the thing that I thought that was so striking when I reread it before the class was basically it, the statement that your heart sort of left alone isn't going to stay in stasis. It's yes. going to get worse. It's going mm. to, because of the things that you do, you see, you breathe, you speak, mm. your heart will harden. It's not something that you can, in fact, I'll read, I think, 
Mm. Left unattended, the heart becomes encrusted. Unwholesome deeds accumulate and take away its purity. Mm. So it's not something that can be left. You just do it once. Yo, I purified my heart. I did this. I'm good. No, it's something that actually requires, which actually didn't make me feel better because every time I read this book, I'm like, oh, I have to work on that again, 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 because it is meant to be something that you continue to work on. No, I mean, it's very similar to purifying the body. I mean, hygiene is something that we have to be attentive to daily. It's not that a person takes a shower on Monday and they say, okay, I've, I've taken my shower and you can just leave your body. Yes. Until maybe next Monday. Right. You know, it required, you know, don't, don't do that. It requires, and this is just like the normal daily action. One does not have to go out and run a marathon. Right. One does not have to, you know, engage in some extremely strenuous physical exertion. No, just living, we naturally generate heat. We generate odors. When we sleep, we get up, we have to, you know, brush our teeth. We, you know, we get, you know, sleep, we used to call it sleep, but we get like cold or sleep mm-hmm. in our eyes. And we are attentive to our physical appearance every day. Mm-hmm. Some of us are attentive to our physical appearance every time we walk past a mirror. Some of us, every time we walk past a reflective surface, it's like, okay, my face is still the same. <laughs> and then you pass another, in. and then you pass Checking another in. window on the street. It's still the same. Right. But when it comes to the heart, we're not attentive in the same way. Right. Something that I'm struggling with spiritually can go unrecognized for years. Right. Mm. Um, The second thing that I thought about was that just reading that heading, beneficial actions that purify the heart it suggests this reciprocal relationship between the state of the heart and actions. See, many of us, we don't think about that relationship as being reciprocal. We think about it as the heart being the source of the actions. So that if the heart is in a bad place, then what manifests on the limbs is just a reflection of what's in the heart. No, no, no. The relationship between what is in the heart and what comes out of the mouth, what is in the heart and what is on the limbs, what is in the heart and the actions we do, it's much more reciprocal than that. It's interesting you say that because sometimes, maybe even before you convert to Islam, I mean, before you convert to Islam, you really don't have that concept of your heart other than sort of heartbreak or heartache. But you don't think about the responsibility of trying to purify your heart. It's not something... It's just not something that's in the dialogue outside of some that I've noticed or that I had part of. But I think it's interesting that you say that because you might think that your heart is just, it is, but it, but, or it is as it is, but you actually can impact your heart, right? You can take action to change the state of your heart. Yes. You know, it's funny you say that because before becoming Muslim, I only referenced my heart in connection with love. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Never in connection with character. Yes. So I didn't think about jealousy as emanating from my heart or hatred as emanating from my heart or, um, you know, uh, 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 slander 
as yeah. emanating from my heart. I just thought about love. Right. Right. So you would heartbreak. Right. Heartache. Ache. Right. Mm -hmm. But where we are now, and I think the language that Islam gives us, no, love, but also everything that your character is comprised of, mm -hmm. it comes from your heart. Right. And as you mentioned, the heart isn't just as is. Mm -hmm. It can be affected. It can be impacted. You can beautify your right. heart with certain actions. You can right. beautify your heart with remembrance. Right. You can beautify your heart with good company. Mm -hmm. You can beautify your heart with contemplation, with reflection, through spending time in nature. You can yeah. beautify your heart through service. Yes. And then you will notice when I feel different. You feel different. I feel different. And that's why it's almost like, um, you know, the prophet, peace be upon him, is recorded to have said in the body of the human being, there's a lump of flesh, there's a mudra. In salahat, salahat al-jasadu kullu. If that lump of flesh is pure, then the entire body is pure. Well, in fasadat, fasadat al-jasadu kullu. But if that lump of flesh is corrupt, the entire body is corrupt. It's amazing actually, because I know I've, I talked about this the first class. I may have mm -hmm. talked about it the second class. I Talk don't know. Again, the third class. <laughs> but I, my relationship to Islam was an introduction through the heart. It was mm -hmm. all about the heart. And it was about softening the heart in a way, you know, I don't know that I even knew that my heart had gotten hard. And I do notice like when you're in the corporate world, even now, you know, I have to be care. I have to be mindful too much time in that world. Mm -hmm. I like, I think it just, it lends itself to thinking about profits, thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, bottom lines, as opposed to humanity and to, you know, mm -hmm. I have to actively in my job, I have to actively remember to yes. apply Islamic principles. It's, it's a challenge. <laughs> it's a yeah, challenge. No, I, mean, I mean, just <laughs> trying to cultivate some sensitivity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we live, you know, I, I think all of us live in a fast paced world. Yes. But, you know, working in corporate America, it's even faster paced. Yeah. And everything is happening so quickly. And we measure progress, success mm -hmm. with very concrete metrics. That's right. This, 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 this. And the state of the soul is just not on the ledger. It's not. And it's been interesting. It's, like, it's not. The state no. of the soul? That doesn't, it's not. That doesn't it would be so, it would be so much better if it was, but it has been interesting to overlay those principles in, in thinking of those duties alongside what I do at my job. Mm. And sometimes I'm better at it than others, but it's been interesting to see how differently like my team runs than mm. other teams. Be yeah, I think, I think, Alhamdulillah, it's, I think, I think it's because there's some principles and I'm always, if I'm frustrated, I'm always thinking about sort of my obligation to give benefit of the doubt, to um, mm. be gentle, to not, you know, gossip, to bring down the drama. You know, it's, I'm thinking of that pretty much all the time as I'm working. And I think it leads to a much happier yeah, exactly. team. You know, that, that's the thing that I think people neglect about our religious uh, teaching. But yes, we do believe that if you implement this teaching, God will be pleased with you. You will be pleased with God. Mm -hmm. You will inherit God's paradise, et cetera. But also it works. 
yeah. you will find that your life is less stress-filled. There's less so tension. Much. You will find that your relationships are enriched, hmm. right? You will find that your connection to- 100%. That which is that you cannot change is more serene. Yes. Like one of the things that I think we have to remember about a book like this is that although Imam Maulud is not being explicit about kind of the worldly benefit of purifying the heart, mm -hmm. and he's mostly talking about the otherworldly benefits of purifying the heart, getting to heaven, God being pleased with you, et cetera, there are worldly benefits to purifying your heart. There are worldly benefits, meaning things that you can see, things that are tangible, yeah. things that you can pinpoint and say, Man, ever since I committed myself to dealing with this aspect of who I am, I noticed that my relationships flow more smoothly. I think it's shockingly different. I think it's a shockingly different state than who you were and what you were before mm -hmm. and how you are in the world, mm -hmm. how you treat your parents, how you treat your siblings, how you mm -hmm. try to guide your siblings to treat your parents. Like it, mm -hmm. it impacts everything, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that you mm -hmm. do. And I think it's so beautiful. There's so much wisdom That's and so love and beauty in it. And having not been Muslim and then converting, it's so, the comparison is so, is so stark. The thing, the thing that always grabs me when I'm thinking about the time when I wasn't Muslim mm -hmm. and I'm comparing it to now is the self-consciousness, the awareness that I'm sure I suffered from things then, you know, that I suffer from now. I just wasn't aware of them. Mm. You know, the things that I struggled with in my heart they weren't as apparent to me because I didn't have that mirror yeah. where I could actually see, I need to work on this. Yeah, yeah. This is really an issue for me and I need to work on it. Yes. And the, the, the clarity that one has in being able to see those things, it really feels like a blessing. It, it's a blessing, alhamdulillah, it's a it blessing. It really feels like a blessing. It's such a blessing. But I also think, in fact, I had something, I had a stressful, <laughs> week at work mm -hmm. and I, I had a really stressful call set up with mm -hmm. someone at the head of our company and I was so I was so anxious about it and I was like getting out of my car and I thought to myself the line of our prayer the one that says you alone we worship you alone we ask for help and I thought to myself this person is not my god right I, I'm okay so it's probably going to be a hard call. I'm probably going to get, you know, yelled at. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Oh, well, this person doesn't matter long in the long run. And it, it was so soothing and it was so, I mean, I'll, just instantly I felt, I was just like, oh, put it in perspective, perspective. right? It's yeah, like, okay, yeah. it might be a tense 25 minutes. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe I'll get excoriated, raked over hot coals. No but <laughs> at the end of the day, mm -hmm. in terms of its bearing on who I am, right. what I am, where I'm going, yes. the influence or the impact this person has is minimal. Right. And it was just such a great moment for me because I thought, and, and just all the time, like I think before I was Muslim, I would think I, things stressed me out more. Now mm -hmm. I'm just a little bit more like, this is, you know, I just do my best and it's not up to me how it comes Masha out. Allah, the, right? the first line he says in this chapter, as for action that is beneficial, 
in purifying the heart, none is more effective than what is consistent, even if it is slight. What do you think about that? I mean, it's something you hear commonly in, mm -hmm. in, in these circles. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I'm always really careful. I think when I started praying, I think I started praying before I mm -hmm. officially converted. And I was always really careful to take it slowly because of that. I'm always careful when I add things to take it slowly because I think it's not good to start and then leave it off. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's better to take on something small and try to mm -hmm. be consistent with it in terms of what I've heard in these circles. Um, so I think of that, you know, be sure in your, in your extra, mm -hmm. extra rogatory mm -hmm. um, acts and then try to be consistent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because whenever I think about the statement of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the best deeds to God are those that are performed with the most consistency, even if they're small. I think about this distinction that many, um, you know, scholars of spirituality make between ahwal and maqamat. So ahwal are like states. And all of us go through many different states. Meaning sometimes the state is you're in a very high spiritual state. Sometimes you're in a very low spiritual state. But it's, it's, uh, there's a certain impermanence. It's momentary. It's fleeting. It's just a, a thing you feel. You know, I, I call it like either the post-Ramadan <laughs> or the post-Islamic conference, Islamic high. <laughs> you know, all of us have attended conferences. We hear an amazing presentation and we're like, that's it. I'm going to fast every day now. Or the Tatleaf newcomers retreat. You said, that, that's it, man. Did you hear what he said? I'm going to start reading a half Quran every night. Mm. <laughs> we all have that. that now, I don't want to completely uh, disrespect that feeling because it's a real thing. It's, a, it's like this, this high that you get. It's like, whew, mm. right? But the same way that it came, it tends to also go. Unfortunately, it was just a moment like, man, I just feel spiritually charged. I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just in this place. Yeah. A maqam is kind of like something has been a part of who you are for long enough that you can consider it a part of your lifestyle, right? So uh, praying five times daily, and I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back. But I remember becoming a Muslim and that five has, it, it might as well have been 50. That's right. It's hard. It, that thought of it is hard. Oh, right, right? You're, I, I remember, the, yeah. I'm talking about, you could see a physical change in my posture. I was a 17 year old kid. Whenever somebody said, you know, Muslims have to pray five times, my shoulders just go. <laughs> it was just, I mean, like, like it, it just, it seemed like uh, just an insurmountable I did. five times. And then I got to like make this like ritual preparation that involves water. Right. And 
I got to put water in my nose. Who puts water in their nose? What, what are we doing here, man? What, you know, it, and, and then, you know, and then it's like, I have to memorize these Arabic phrases. And it was just like, oh my God. But now having been Muslim for, I don't know, more than 20 years, <laughs> you know, it's something that has become very much a part of my lifestyle. It's become something, and I, I thank God for it every day. I don't take it for granted. I don't take it for granted, but I do think that it's something I've tried to display commitment to for long enough that I feel like, yeah, this is a part of who I am. Yes. This is not just this fleeting momentary spiritual state that I'm experiencing. Now, this is a part of who I am. Yeah. I've been, you know, most behavioral theorists say that 40 days, if you can do something consistently for 40 days, that practice has become a part of who you are. Really? Most people say 40. Some people say 30. Right. If you yeah. can do something consistently for 40 days, yeah. that practice has become a part of who you are. Right now, there was this one teacher, we would sit with him and all of us would seek spiritual guidance, spiritual counsel. And he would say, before you do anything, he would give all, he would give all the brothers, all the sisters, the same advice before you do anything else, make all of your prayers on time mm -hmm. for 40 days straight. Oh, really? He would call yeah. it the 40 grand, 40 <laughs> grand. Try to make all of, he said, if you can make all of your prayers on time mm -hmm. for 40 days straight, you will see that you are a changed woman. You will see that you are a changed man. Hmm. That Now, mind you, given the fact that we live very mobile lives, making all of your prayers on time for 40 days straight will probably involve planning your day around your prayer, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. if I know I'm traveling to New York, right. that would mean booking my ticket at a time uh, that I'm going to pray and then take the flight and then scheduling my meeting at a time that I'm going to get off the plane, pray my asr, and then we can meet in Manhattan, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? It, it was much more involved than I thought it would be. But I thought, yeah, I mean, you know, Prayer is an obligation, but I realized over the course of those 40 days that, no, I have to plan my day around my prayers mm -hmm. if I really want to make all of them on time for 40 days straight. Yeah, it's been one of the hidden blessings of working from home, right? <laughs> like, it's like it's so easy to make your prayers on time when you're working at home all day. Because when, you, when, you're, when you're out, like this is one of the places that I think Muslims, I'm going to give you, inshallah, glad tidings. I think as American Muslims, we will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yom Al-Qiyamah. I certainly hope so. And we will have all of these rewards that we didn't even perceive because of all of the crazy places we had to pray. <laughs> like the Instagram post with the places you'll pray. Have you seen that one? I haven't yeah. seen that one. Oh, but so like in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the majority Muslim world, there's places to pray everywhere. This place is this place is to pray at the mall. 
You go to the mall, every mall has it must a be amazing. It mall. must be amazing. There's a musalla in the mall. There's a, you know, every every building has a little small place to pray at the base of the building. Walking down the street, if you walk a mile in Cairo, where I lived for about five years, if you walk a mile, you'll probably see 20 places where you can, not like Jawamiya, not like huge mosques, right, but, but little corners that you can go yeah. in and just make your prayers as you go about your day. Maybe right. 20 of them. In some places, even more. Now you look at us, now we have to pray like in fitting rooms oh, yeah. and you know, bus stations, parks. Everywhere. Uh, corners of the office, stairwells. <laughs> stairwells, that was mine. Stairwells, and I'm thinking, the Prophet said, the reward of an action is given in accordance with the difficulty that one experiences doing that action. This is something that I, we don't even, and we don't even think about it. You know how many times I prayed like in a fitting room and the person is asking me, should I bring a 32? Semi Allah, man Okay, I'll bring a 32. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, 100%. <laughs> what am I doing? But this is what it means to, you know, live a full, invigorating, uh, fulfilling life, but yeah. be committed to your prayers. That's right. Right. So this sheikh used to say, if you can commit to your prayers for 40 days after that, I mean, that's like the doorstep of the spiritual path. Mm. You commit to your prayers 40 days, you open the door. You open the door and anyone who is present tonight in person or online, I challenge you if you haven't been right to take that, that, that responsibility of 40 days, 40 days that you're praying, right? Right. If you're, if you're not praying that day, then obviously it wouldn't be a day that counts, but 40 days that you're praying to make all of your prayers on time. Could start at November first too, and you make can, the commitment. You for can the whole start month it, and uh, right. You could you could start it tonight. True. <laughs> <laughs> you can start it, like Aisha. Yeah, we will make it after the conversation, and it will certainly be on time, inshallah. And and just and just starting from there, yeah. and just seeing what happens. But there is this, um, Subhanallah. Um, Many of us, and I, and this is just, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, right? I'm thinking out loud. Because we have a cultural obsession with newness, mm -hmm. I don't think that we value repetition in the way that we should, yeah. right? You only become a master of anything by repeating the action over and over, over and over over and over right you know it's like it's like malcolm gladwell's ten thousand hours yeah right this is the only way mastery of anything is achieved i think it's true i think our we're in such a fast-paced productive achieving world that we we don't we just move on next thing next thing next thing next thing yeah we don't think about mastery as much as right you know it, it's it's like our teachers used to tell us and this is something I, 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 I still struggle at. If someone is telling you something you've heard before, push yourself not to say, even internally, oh, oh I know that. Oh. Uh, come on, man. You, what, do you, what, what do you think? I embraced Islam yesterday. Everybody knows the Hadith of Jibril. No. 
struggle to listen again. And maybe you'll find something else. And you'll find something else. Good advice. You'll find something else. It's incremental repetition. Yeah. There's a beautiful story about Imam Shafi'i and Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Shafi'i being older than Ahmed. And Imam Shafi'i was known for studying at night. Some people burn the midnight oil. Some people don't burn mm -hmm. the midnight oil. Mm -hmm. He was known for burning the midnight oil, right? So Ahmed ibn Hammal, being a younger scholar who, of course, esteemed and loved and looked up to Shafi'i, had an opportunity to spend an evening with him, right? Shafi'i was in Baghdad, and he needed to stay with someone, and uh, he was staying with Ahmed ibn Hammal. This is a true story. And even Ahmed was only excited about the fact that he was going to spy on Shafi'i to see what his nighttime, like he wanted to know how much does he cover in a night and what does he cover? Mm -hmm. Does he study law? Does he study jurisprudence? Does he study tafsir? Because I mean, these scholars, they were encyclopedic scholars. Right. Right. These were right. scholars that were masters in many different fields, even when we only talk about them and their mastery in one field. Right. Right. So he wanted to see what does Shafi'i do? Yeah. So he said that he watched Shafi'i all the way from the time of Isha until the Adhan of Fajr. And the only thing he did was recite Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? and pray rakat, and go back to sitting and reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas. And Ahmed said, this was the most uninspiring. <laughs> I thought that he would be like reviewing Kitab al-Umm or something like that. I thought that, you know, I, I don't, I thought he was going to do a khatam of the Quran. Right, the, right. And so Ahmed actually decided to inform him that, you know, I watched you last night. And the only thing you did was recite a surah that every Muslim child can recite. Surah al-Ikhlas. Surah al-Ikhlas is like, everybody knows that. Yeah. And Shafi'i said, every time I recited the surah, a new meaning became present. Wow. Right? A new meaning presented itself to me. Wow. A new fa'idah, a new benefit from the surah prevented itself, presented itself to me. Wow. Every time I recited it, some, some other shade of meaning became apparent to me. Wow. Right. And Dr. Omar. Furuk Abdullah, you know, our, our local, mashallah, scholar and teacher, he said, you will know a man or woman that is Rabbani, meaning a person of the Lord, by their willingness to review things that they've learned. Huh. Right? Their willingness to review things that they've already learned. So let's go over it again. Yeah. Right? This is someone that understands that with consistency, mastery is attained so let's go over it again that's a good reminder let's i feel like again. we get impatient with things that we've heard it's like, i know mm -hmm. that already mm -hmm. it's almost like these are not songs mm -hmm. sometimes it's like oh yeah you heard the remix i heard the remix yeah i heard it already <laughs> no 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 listen closely right listen closely and a new thing will jump to you yeah. Right. Listen close. And you say, you know what? Or as you live, something will come out. Yeah. You'll say, you know what? I always understood this one way, but now I understand it differently. That happens to me often with the prayer, with Fatiha. Yes. It, and sometimes with the verses, but 
I'll be doing something and it'll just say, hmm, I never thought about that. Yeah. You know, it's the way that I, the way that I think about it, it's like saying, I love you to your husband or your Mm. wife. There's a situation in, listen closely, no, but (laughs) two newlyweds will get married and as they're spending their first evening together, one or both of them will inevitably say, I love you. I love you too. Mm-hmm. And they mean that as deeply and profoundly as they can mean it as newlyweds. But if they celebrate their 35th or 40th anniversary, the same two people, I assure you, they will say the same words. I love you. I love you too. But what they understand in that statement will have 40 years Mm -hmm. of life and love and relationships and mistakes and forgiveness. And challenges. And challenges and overcome challenges. It's the same three words. It's true. But your lived experience has given them new meaning new significance, new profundity. This is the relationship we should have with the book of Allah. This is the relationship we have with the words of the Prophet They're the same words. But as I live, as I learn, as I grow, they impact me differently. It's like, wow. You know, I was in um, a class yesterday and you know the only person there was Sanya, mashallah. <laughs> no, mashallah. May Allah bless you, bless your family, um, <laughs> and increase you, mashallah. If I have to say it, if someone were to ask me, of the most diligent students of of you know Islam that I know in Chicago, she would definitely be at the top oh, of the mashallah. list. That's great. She would definitely be at the top of the list. Alhamdulillah. Um, but we were reading this hadith in the Shema'il of Imam Tirmidhi. And the hadith says, Abu Hurairah is narrating the hadith radiallahu an, and he said about the Prophet والسلام, مَا رَأَيْتُ شَيْئًا أَحْسَنَ مِنَ الرَّسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم كَأَنَّ الشَّمْسَ تَجْرِي فِي وَجْهِ Abu Hurairah said, I have never seen anything more beautiful then the Prophet Muhammad it's as if the sun beamed from his face, like sun rays, like literally, it's like beams of sunlight ran through his face. Mm-hmm. And I started talking to people about nur, mm-hmm. like light, yeah. that some people are illumined. Some people are incandescent, right? And this is something we hear a lot. You know, oh, this person is Munawar. You know, uh, if you're Egyptian, you hear that often. And Munawar, you know, you're, 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 you're illumined. You're lit up. You're incandescent. You're glowing. But the opposite is also true. Hmm. That some people are, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of, not physical. We have mm-hmm. to make that clear. Yeah. But there's a spiritual darkness, mm-hmm. right, that when we are in bad states, that spiritual darkness can cover us. Yeah, yeah. Right? We can be covered by a spiritual darkness, you know, and we see people like that. 
Yeah. Right. We meet people like that. Maybe we've seen ourselves like that. Like we look at our faces and we see, subhanAllah. I think, I mean, I I see people with that nur all the time yes. in Islamic circles. Like I, yes. I, it is as obvious as if they had a light bulb literally shining on them. I don't want to embarrass him, but Mike Swice. Mike Swice has. Mike Swice is one of those people. You look at Mike and say, mashallah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Mashallah. Yes. Amir Felton. Mashallah. <laughs> I had to wait till he stepped out of the room. <laughs> but there are people like that 100 it's interesting because i never i never knew that concept when i before i converted and i don't know if i ever saw it on anyone outside of islamic circles i've mm. now only noticed it inside islamic circles i haven't looked outside circles but it's so obvious to me when i come in and there's someone with it i just it's like it, so it, obvious so there was a brother and i had known about this for many years but there was a brother who I saw his state change radically. Wow. He was in a really, really bad situation. And now his situation has improved markedly. And when I saw him, I was like, I thought I understood spiritual darkness and spiritual light. Yeah. But remembering you a couple of years ago and seeing you now, I had no idea what that meant until I just looked right, at you. Right, right. That is how we are to be in touch mm -hmm. with these meanings that are a part of our tradition, a part of our faith, yeah. right? They get deeper as you get deeper, right? Yeah. You will never exhaust anything that is a part of this, that is authentically a part of this religion. Yeah. You will never exhaust its profundity. It's not like, okay, I've taken prayer to the F degree, man. <laughs> I mean, prayer is like, okay, I'm maxed out on the fasting. Right. I think I've gotten everything out of that one you can get. <laughs> you know, I've taken the, uh, you know, the whole Quran thing. I've taken it as far as you can take it. Yeah. No, that never happens. No. You don't definitely. max out dhikr. Yeah. You don't max out remembrance. It continues to give yeah. more and more. And it's amazing the way that it gives. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I remember a brother said, you know, reading the Quran even if we know a very short surah, he said, it's like juicing, but the orange still has juice. Even as you like, man, this thing still has juice yeah. in it, right? And it eternally yeah. will possess yeah. juice, right? He continues, he says, include also action that is done in the absence of witnesses or action done purely for God's love or out of awe of his majesty. What do you think about that? I think it's, I think it makes great sense in terms of purifying your heart, right? It makes great sense because your reward that you're seeking is a pleasure of Allah, right? Not yes. obviously. I mean, this, this is obvious, right? But I think, I think, the reward you would get immediately, right? I think I think when you do these actions, when nobody knows that you're doing them or you're doing something, mm -hmm. no matter how often you do it, mm -hmm. you you it 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 changes how you feel about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It changes your self-esteem. And and so there's a reward, even though that isn't that wasn't your intention. The intention would have been, I'm gonna make a donation, I'm gonna do it anonymously, or I'm gonna bring 
cookies to my neighbor, whatever it is, right? Whatever your good deed is. Um, I think it's, these are such beautiful acts because Allah has built into them this benefit of you building up your character and feeling better about yourself as a person, mm -hmm. even though that's not even, you know, it's just a, a bonus, really. I come to that. Yeah. You know, I, I think about how as people, and I think this is a very natural part of being in community with people. Mm -hmm. We want to be um, seen as worthy. We want to be seen as beautiful. Mm -hmm. We want to be seen as intelligent. We want to, you know, people with whom we live, work, study, um, pray, they have the ability to validate us or invalidate us. Mm -hmm. And anyone that isn't willing to kind of lean into that vulnerability is just telling themselves a lie. You know, if someone, now it's not everybody. And that's the thing I think that social media can be very confusing. Because mm -hmm. what I'm talking about is not reputation. See, reputation is how people that you don't even know feel about you. Mm -hmm. That's my rep. No, I'm talking about people to whom I am deeply connected, mm -hmm. right? It is very natural for me to be concerned with what they think about me. It's right. very natural for me to be concerned with what my wife thinks of me. Right. It's one of the reasons that you have to be so careful in those relationships, parental, daughter, spouse, spouse because you do have a lot of power. Yes. You can, you can build people up mm -hmm. and you could tear them down and you yeah. can also tear them yeah. down where that can become excessive is when that validation, that acceptance, that, you know, desire to conform or that desire to not make waves or that desire to be celebrated, that desire to be esteemed, it can actually get to a place that should be reserved for God. Mm -hmm. It can, it, like, it can really, really go there. Right. It can get to a place where, okay, it's, it naturally has its place, wanting to be acceptable, wanting to be right. validated, right. wanting to be celebrated, wanting respected. to be esteemed, wanting to be respected. Right. And that should not be disparaged. Right. A man came to the Prophet Muhammad and he said, Ya Rasulullah, tell me something that if I did it, God would love me and people would love me. Mm -hmm. The subtlety in this hadith is the Prophet ﷺ didn't say to him, why do you care about people loving right. you? If God loves you, who cares if people love you? No, we all want to be loved by people. But if we aren't careful, that can become a principal focus in life. Right. To be loved by people, to be celebrated by people to be esteemed by people, to be respected by people. That's right. It's, it's what I was saying earlier mm -hmm. when I was getting ready to have this meeting mm -hmm. and I was getting so, I was placing that person here. here. Of course, it's, I, think, I think it's okay for me to want to be respected for what I do. And, but, if, but, but not out of place, right? So you have to exactly. remind yourself, bring that down. Put it, put right? it down here. Yeah. And the way that that's done, because first off, when that is out of place, 
it signals that something in the heart is amiss mm -hmm. because you're more concerned with what these people, even if they're people that are dear to you, yeah. you're more concerned with what they think about you than you're standing with God. Right. Something is out of place. The way that that is corrected is begin doing good deeds in the absence of witnesses. Mm. Begin doing things in which your only audience is God. No, and don't tell people the next day. Mm -hmm. Don't like, somebody said, man, your eyes are red. I was up praying to Hudget all night. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> you know, or, you know, it's like. Fifth time this week. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth time this week. <laughs> In addition to the 40 grand. <laughs> I'm really, really soaring right now yes. with my team. You know, no, no. <laughs> to do things and being content with the fact that only God mm -hmm. witnessed what you did. I love it. Yeah. I love this because it's so like it's this intimate relationship you have with God, right? Like it's it's, it's, it's very yeah. intentional and mm -hmm. it's it forces you, I think, to be content with God saw it. That's all that matters. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the um, and this is my own very half-baked juvenile social commentary. <laughs> but one of the, I think one of the, the dangers of social media is that we get so accustomed to photographing ourselves and displaying ourselves that it's very hard for us to actually be alone. Even when we're alone, we're still thinking kind of through the lens of our cameras. Like, I've, I've seen people that even in solace, they're still, you know, thinking about how this would best be captured. Oof. If I wanted to capture it, I'm like, subhanAllah. So hard. It's so this hard for that. Yeah. We've gotten to a place where I can't even be alone. No, I don't even exist. And did this even happen if I didn't record it and right. put did, it out? Right. I don't even, even know if it happened. Did it happen? Yeah. I, can't, I can't even be alone. It's hard. Right? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, we have to actually begin reprogramming mm -hmm. ourselves so that we are okay with solitude. Like, it's just me and God. And that's okay. Yeah. And even in that space, there is a kind of decorum, right? Because God is watching, mm. right? The angels are present. You know, uh, one statement that was always kind of crazy to me, but when I thought about it, I thought, wow, what conscientiousness. They said that, that Omar ibn al-Khattab, the companion of the prophet, even when he would be alone removing his clothes, he would do so with great care. Right? He would do so with great care. That even being alone, he wasn't completely. He was conscious. Of he was. He yeah. was, because the angels mm -hmm. are present. Right. He wasn't completely just out. Now, if a person is very comfortable with themselves, I mean, it's not. This isn't like a prophetic practice. Mm -hmm. Right. This is not. This is just. But this is just talking. This is an example mm -hmm. of one righteous person being mindful of the presence of God and the angels when no one else is around, right? Right. Um, and being content with that. You know, 
Subhanallah. Someone once asked me, um, what's the difference between swag and ihsan, right? What is the difference between a very intentional kind of uh, uh, display of, you know, your style or your confidence or whatever, and ihsan, perfection. perfection. And the only thing that I could come up with is that the focus of um, swagger and drip and um, those kinds of cultural phenomena is always the self. Mm -hmm. It's self-aggrandizement. Yes, for right? others. Right, it's self-aggrandizement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas the focus of Ihsan is always God, Yeah. right? God loves to see the traces of his favor upon the servant. You see, mm -hmm. if one is concerned with that primarily, then it's probably Ihsan. Now, the way you can measure, if it's really Ihsan, and this is, I check myself often, because everybody who knows me, they know I like certain things. <laughs> and when my wife is giving me a hard time about it, I say, oh, baby, it's my expression of Ihsan. <laughs> you say, I don't believe that. You just like cars. This is the definitive test. Okay. If it's Ihsan, it will be a consistent thread that runs through every aspect of your life. Mm. Your relationships, how you are as a spouse, how you are as a parent, how you are as a neighbor, how you are as a colleague, how you are as a friend, because God is witness to all of that. Yeah. If it's just self-aggrandizement, it's my clothes, my jewelry, my car, my home, my decor. In terms of my relationships, ah, who cares about that? <laughs> How I am as a neighbor or a colleague, ah, you know, that's, that's less important. If it's ihsan, there will be consistency. It'll be your prayers, your fasting, yeah. because God is a witness to that yeah, too, yeah. not just your clothes. Right. Right? You know, Ibn Ta'illah, he drew, mashallah, <laughs> mashallah. For a plot Allah. twist, you really should have handed it to me instead of him. Mashallah. <laughs> Ibn Ta'illah, he, um, he really caught my attention on this one. Okay. He said, think about connoisseurship. I love seeing a legitimate aficionado mm -hmm. of anything. It, for me, watching somebody with that kind of passionate engagement with some mundane activity, mm -hmm. it's just a really cool thing, man, to see someone that like eats a piece of dark chocolate from, you know, Leonidas. <laughs> and they're like, this chocolate, you don't understand. <laughs> this is the authentic Belgian, it the the cacao, the the you don't understand the properties. This dark chocolate has uh, amino acids that will make your skin beautiful. You know, I'm just mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. so I guess this is different than just eating a Reese's cup. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he says, but it's amazing that you can have a person like that. Yeah, about their food or about their clothes. They can tell you about this leather. You can tell that 
the animal died of natural causes because, you know, I mean, right there. But when it comes to their prayers, that same gradation isn't there. It's just a prayer. Good, bad, indifferent. Hey, we made, we made Asr. Hey, we made Maghrib. We prayed it. Did you make it, Isha? Yeah, I made it. But if you ask them about chocolate, no, no, there's superlative chocolate. There's mediocre chocolate. There's, you know, poor quality chocolate, the, the stuff you see at the supermarket. But if you ask them about a day of Ramadan, you know, I fasted, man. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, you know I, I got through the day. I, I woke up. I didn't eat. Hey. And I was thinking, wow. And then he gets even more graphic with it. Because Ibn Atta'ala likes to get graphic. He's like, so your connoisseurship is for stuff that will wind up in your toilet. Mm. But the things that will remain that you will see when you meet God, ah, any old prayer, it'll do. I pray. Mm. I pray. You know. So I think about that often. And if it's Ihsan, it'll start with the more significant things and then extend to those more worldly, worldly mm -hmm. kinds of transactional. Yeah, that's a good guidance. You know, so you'll know if it's really Ihsan yeah. by if it's really Ihsan. And one of the ways that we can ensure some ihsan is doing things when only God can see us. That's it. That's it. Doing things when this is almost a, um, and this is why they say that a psalm, fasting ikhlas, fasting is sincerity. Because fasting is that one action that only you know, right? You and God. Only God knows if you're really doing it. Nobody else knows, man. Any one of us can pretend to be fasting and nobody would know. You can come to the mosque just like everybody else. Yo, man, where's Iftar? <laughs> what, what, what time is Maghrib? They're like, you have some nougat on your lip. <laughs> That's from Suhoor. Obviously. That's, <laughs> come on, man. Nobody, nobody would know. But the fact that God knows, and this is enough for you to restrain from eating and drinking sometimes 15, 14 hours, yes. you have faith. You have faith. Some of us, we're afraid to admit to ourselves, I really believe this stuff, man. Hmm. If... Look, this isn't like praying. You know, I come to the mosque, I'm praying for Juma or some other prayer. You know, there are some people that will hold me in high esteem because I came to the mosque. So, oh, yeah. Oh, mashallah. You, you pray. Okay, cool. Fasting is not like that. And that's why maybe we don't know the reward for fasting. It's with Allah, right? It's, that's exactly mm -hmm. the reason because fasting is such a great display of sincerity. Yeah that only Allah can give the reward for fasting. Yeah. Because you only do that if you believe. Otherwise, there's no reason to do it. Right. It's not like people can see you doing it. Or, oh, nobody can see me. I'm at home. It's Ramadan. All of my curtains are closed. All of my blinds are shut. Yeah. If I took a sip of water right now. No one would know. Nobody would know. 
It's interesting. I always find it interesting how many people, how many Muslims fast. It's amazing. Right? It's amazing. I have a really good friend and I was telling her she's Jewish and she said, I was saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to be fasting. She was like, oh, you're really going to fast. Yeah. I said, it's required, actually. I'm not, it's not optional. And she said, yeah, yeah, it's required for me too. But, you know, now that I'm older, you know, people that are older don't really do it. You know, once you, once you get, yeah, we did it. We don't do it anymore. I said, no, Muslims do it. And she said, I have a really good friend who's Muslim. He's not really practicing. I said, I bet he fasts. I bet he fasts. Ask him because I bet you he fasts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I've met Muslims that don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> I know Muslims that their iftar is in a bar. Mm. I know Muslims that their iftar is like, you know, I fasted and then now, you know, but they still fast. Mm. And just to get up on my soapbox for a minute, when Allah says, it is God who sent his messenger with guidance and the religion of truth to make it prevail over all other ways of life. Mm-hmm. Some Muslims mistakenly believe this to be about geopolitical status, like the Muslims will be dominant and mm-hmm. doesn't mean that. The idhar, or because Muslims have been disempowered, Muslims have been sure. that 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 that's those are just the vicissitudes of life, mm-hmm. being up, being down. Sure. What it means is that the remaining, the enduring, the sustaining relevance of Islam in the hearts of the Muslims. Mm will always be something that reminds people of the truth of Islam. Shalom, that's that, 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 you know, I talked to one anthropologist, non-Muslim, and she was citing for me uh, kind of a common anthropological view that every religion except for Islam is in a folkloric state of its existence. Wow that it's mostly holidays. At the most, you have maybe some kind of uh, symbolic religious observance, or you have a tiny sliver of the religious community that has adopted like a monastic lifestyle Mm -hmm. or has withdrawn from the rest of society, like monks, like uh, Amish people or Mennonite people, but on a communal civilizational level, nothing has the social relevance of Islam. Wow. That you still have scores of people that fast in the month of Ramadan. Right. Like lots of people that some of whom would even tell you, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, a, I'm not a very serious Muslim. And a non-Muslim is listening to this, but you're going to fast for 30 days and you don't even consider it. And this is a person like, I'm not even, I'm not even really a serious Muslim. Whenever I hear that, just having some perspective, I'm like, our community is going to be okay. Yeah. We still have people that consider themselves, I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not really religious. A Christian or a Jewish person in America is looking at you like, right. if you're not religious yeah. and you're fasting for 30 days, 
we're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you have Muslims that say, like, I'm not, I'm not really that religious, but, you know, for the last 28 days, I've been, you know, going for 14 hours, you know, yeah. getting up at 2 a.m. to eat my meals. And, right. You know, it's, it's like, but I don't really consider myself religious. For us, oh. this lets me know that we can still see the friends of Allah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? We still actually, we actually as a community have a regard for righteousness. Right. Like we know like, oh, this is nothing. There are people, there are women, there are men that have really dedicated their lives to being the best people that they can be. Mm -hmm. Oh, me, I'm not even fit to carry their shoes. And this is somebody fasting 30 days, yeah. praying five yeah, times yeah, a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to really think, subhanAllah, then what, then what is righteousness to you people? Right, right. What, what does it mean to be mutadayin if a person that fasts five times a day and prays, uh, fast five times a day, prays five times a day and fast, fast 30 days, it's yeah. just like, I'm not, I'm not really that religious. Mm -hmm. Who's religious, <laughs> right? So, you know, those things that we do exclusively for Allah, um, where only Allah can see us, those things have amazing uh, potential to purify us. Right? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And just to finish out the chapter, he said, the purest deed is that done by someone free of worldly wants. The opposite of this is the deed of the covetous one whose endeavors are ultimately insignificant. The actions of those who strive out of hope are more resplendent and exalted than one whose striving is compelled by fear. I just want to say something about that. Mm -hmm. That although we are told to exist between hope and fear, right? That we have hope in God's mercy and we fear God's punishment, those that are moved, motivated, animated, inspired by hope are superior to those that are moved, animated, inspired by fear, right? Those that love God, that hope from God are a rank above those that are merely afraid or fearful of God. I think that's a very beautiful recognition that yes, fear is reflective of a regard. Right. Right. For God is the highest parable. But if I obey my mother or serve my mother out of fear of displeasing her, this does uh, indicate a regard that I have for her. Sure. Right. But if I serve her because I love her and I serve her because I hope to earn her blessing or her favor or I hope that she would be pleased with me, that's better. It's a deeper. It's, it's deeper. deeper. He's saying that they're not equal. That's deeper. Yeah. That's better. In fact, you know the thing that I always trip on this is just one of those things that it's like, I don't understand it, but it's, it is what it is. The people that I am most assured that they would forgive me if I made a mistake mm -hmm. 
are the people that I don't want to let down the most. The people that I know, if I did something, they would say, oh, don't worry about it, man, it's good. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that I never want to disappoint. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why, and this is in tafsir, God is reminding you at the beginning of every chapter with the exception of Bara of Toba, he's Rahman or Rahim. In hope that if you know that I'm all forgiving, if you know that I'm most merciful, that hopefully doesn't mean that you begin to take liberties to say, oh, I know God is merciful, so. Right. No, I'm even more committed to not disappointing, right. not letting down, not displeasing the one that I know will forgive me. Yeah. SubhanAllah. And I think that is an expression of his love, right? Absolutely. And so it should make you feel a love and a connection for them, right? The mercy Absolutely. of a mother, that type of, you know, feeling that, of like, you know, yeah. And, the, and the, 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 the name of God that expresses this maternal, mm -hmm. it's a maternal compassion is Hanan. Hanan? Hanan. Yeah, Hanan. Yeah, Hanan. Like, Hanina is like maternal warmth, mm. right? Hanina. It's like, it's like the kind of compassion that a mother has for a child. You know, I was talking with a brother today and I said, sometimes when my wife and I disagree about something regarding the children, I just have to like realize I'm outranked here. <laughs> I'm outranked, man. You know, there's a connection that she has with them that I'll never be able to realize. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you carry a child for nine months, you deliver that child. That child was literally a part of your body. That child has nursed from your body. Maybe there's a connection there that, you know, I don't really understand. Mm -hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to you on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe mm -hmm. there's something there that I don't get. Yeah. Right. The Prophet وسلم, and this is an authentic hadith. This is not like from hadith that they only cite like in California or something like that, hadith <laughs> that they only mention in the Bay Area or something like that, said that Allah has more shafaqah. Allah has more compassion for his servant than a mother for her child. Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah. Thank goodness. Subhanallah. <laughs> Subhanallah. Subhanallah. So this is a good place to stop, inshallah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim al-Asr inna al-Insana la fi khusr illa ladina amanu wa amilu salihati wa tawasibu al-Haqi wa tawasibu al-Sabr. Subhana Rabbi Rabbi al-Izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-Mursaleen wa alhamdulillah Rabbil al-Alameen. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Amin ya Rabbil al-Alameen. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.